Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup, get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually bollocks, sir. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups, it's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Owen and Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? This fella, Ronaldo, is a cod. Mm-hmm. We hear this every time in the intro to the football podcast. Can you just please, in case I'm going absolutely bonkers, can you please identify the speaker, of the, the man who utters that quote? Eamon Dunphy. Ah, so it is the same Eamon Dunphy I watched on TV last night saying that Ronaldo's greatness redeems everything. <laughs> I was wrong, Dara. I was wrong, he said about Ronaldo. Oh, he said, I was wrong. Oh, I was wrong about everything, yeah. He was so, he was in great form was mm. Eamon, and he was, funny, Richie and Didi Hamman were having a bit of a pop at each other really? over something we'll get onto in a second. But in, in the midst of it all, Dunphy was just saying, I just think this Ronaldo guy's great. His goal score is insane. Okay, I know I've given out about a lot of things, but I never really, never really thought about the work ethic that's gone into getting him where he is today. And uh, yeah, no, he, he's, he's amazing. His greatness redeems everything. I was wrong. <laughs> so that's that. And yet the argument was an interesting one. It was between Richie and Didi Hamman over, well... Did he have seem to think that the journalists who... Okay, so I presume we've all seen or heard of the press conference where Ronaldo mm. gets asked quite a lot of annoying questions. A lot of them about how great Barcelona are. Yeah. And one or two about his own supposedly poor goal-scoring form. Yeah. He's only scoring like, you know, sort of one in every one point in whatever games at the moment, rather than one, yeah. one per game. And uh, eventually he gets up and walks away after a rhetorical question to the journalists. Now, that question that triggered him, triggered the walkout was... Along the lines of Cristiano, why can't you score goals away from home anymore? Yeah, which Diddy Hamann felt was totally disrespectful. Hamann seemed to feel that this journalist should never work again. <laughs> Slightly exaggerating it. Uh, really, really found it incredible that he could ask such a question. Richie made the point: Well, what are journalists supposed to ask? You know, you, you yeah. go, you go in there. It's either boring questions or ask something that might get some sort of an answer. Now. What I would say is I'm surprised that Hamann is focused on that question. I thought the ones that were really riding him up were the Barca ones. The friends. And the, yeah, the, oh, they're all such friends. Yeah, and what about what a great penalty Messi took with yeah. Suarez there the other night. By the time they got to the point of asking him a needling question about his own form, yeah. he, he was ready to go. I don't know if that was actually... It certainly wasn't disrespectful. It was a little bit... They were all a little bit windy-uppy, though. Oh, I think so. Um, I mean, especially, you know, from Ronaldo's point of view, he must think, you know, these people... What do I have to do? So his goal last night was his 44th away goal in the Champions League. Um, do you think anyone scored more than 44? Mm, away? Yeah. No. Who would you say is the next player on that list? 
Messi and who and Rowe. give me a, give me a figure for how many Messi scored. Oh, uh, so what's Ronaldo? Like forty four away. Forty four. Messi maybe thirty two. Thirty five. Thirty five is is still a pretty bloody good number, but it it's not forty four, <laughs> and it's not it's it's nowhere near forty four. So those kinds of um, things are. Not, I mean, obviously, really, what the what the questions are about. Uh, the questions are saying, are you have you slid into that. Uh, irreversible and terminal decline that we know eventually envelops every player. Do you think you're, you know, do you feel you're on the way down yet, Chris? And, uh, yeah, it's a bit annoying, I suppose, to, to handle. But, it, you know, there is, a, I think, also a, a legitimacy to the questions about the uh, obviously greater chemistry between the Barcelona players. It's not strictly Ronaldo's fault. You know, the Gareth Bale is... It's like sharing a dressing room with a parsnip, you know. I mean, from his point, from his point of view, it doesn't. It's it's he, he doesn't really think there's not much going on between him and Bale. Uh, that, and that's it takes two to tango. Although when you do look at Ronaldo's career, and it was actually something that he then proceeded to use in his own defense, I believe short-sightedly. Well, I didn't get on with the Manchester United players either. <laughs> I didn't get on with Rio, Giggsy, Skulls. I never talked to any of those guys, and it didn't matter. You know what he's saying is, I don't really get on. I, no one can really point to an example of a, of a, of a profitable uh, relationship or yeah. you know, a, a friendly kind of relationship that he's had with someone else. It's just not the way he, he lives his life. Let's get a couple of these in. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. We don't normally click, broadcast click, all the, the stuff click, that comes from scum click. around the country. Two scumbags on today's podcast. One of whom is having a go at me, Ken. One of them is having a go at you. Oh. Well, actually, the guy having a go at you has a bit of a pop at me as well, so I'm not doing very well out of this. Okay. Anyway, okay. We'll start with Dermot Riley here from Kells County Mead. Love the podcast, guys. But I have to say, I was very disappointed in Ken on Monday's podcast when he said that Leicester City's position at the table is mostly down to luck. If a win against a big team in a cup competition, well, maybe luck might have something to do with it, a one-off win. But to be in the table position that they are in at this point and to say it is down to luck is ridiculous. Also, Ken said that it would be, paraphrasing, a disgrace if Leicester won the league. As Owen mentioned, that point was made by some newspaper Arsenal fan last week. Well, actually, it was Alan Smith. Former, Arsenal for, a former Leicester player as well, Alan Smith. But as Richie Sadler pointed out, would this be the underachieving fourth-placing Arsenal for the last 11, 12 years? A disgrace for Arsenal to finish below Leicester at the top of the table? I don't think so. I also thought Owen let Ken off the hook a bit too easily on this, especially as the, at the point of it not being a disgrace was discussed very forcefully in the previous football podcast when Ken was off on holidays. I enjoyed the show and I enjoyed the slagging between Ken and Richie, but surely Ken isn't allowing that to colour his perspective on Leicester and will now spend the rest of the season putting any success down to luck. Hope this won't be the tone of Ken's discussions. No, I've absolutely not. But I mean, it, it would be a disgrace to Arsenal. It would be... I mean, which would be more embarrassing to Arsene Wenger, to lose the league to Leicester or Tottenham? Either way, it's not good. I think Leicester might... No, I think Tottenham would be worse. Because if Leicester win, then at least Tottenham haven't won. Whereas if Tottenham win, then the fact that Leicester haven't won is of no consequence. The reason why it's a disgrace is because Arsenal's squad is, you know, worth about five or six times what Leicester squad is, or, or at least was assembled for, at five or six times the cost. And their money, the money that they're spending on salaries is far in excess of Leicester's. What has Arsene Wenger been saying for these last 12 or 13 years? How has he justified not winning the league in all that time? Having started so well, having won three titles in his first, what, eight seasons, 
How is it that he hasn't won it since then? Yeah, you're t- from an Arsenal point of view, it would be bad news. But to use that language is implying that, and in fact, you, you go further because you talk about Leicester's luck, that Leicester somehow don't deserve it, that it's r- ridiculous for any team to lose to tiny little Leicester, even though Leicester are the team who played the best football this season. It would be particularly particularly embarrassing and bitter for Arsene Wenger, who has m- mounted a financial justification for why he can't win the league all these years. I can't win it what the, with all these financial dopers, Chelsea, Manchester City, you know, all these clubs throwing money around. You know, we spend only the money that we make. You know, we're doing it under our own steam. To suddenly come along and Little Leicester City with their Fleetwood, ex-Fleetwood striker and their £400,000 Riyad Mahrez and another another great player signed for his single like five million who are deservedly Cannes. winning most of their games as opposed to being lucky. Oh yeah, but oh, the so point so is, why couldn't you have done this? But you do accept that this is the, this you're, is you're why it's embarrassing. Your, your own, okay, you're not going to roll back on that, but are you rolling back on calling Leicester lucky? No, not at all. In fact, I've been in touch with Dermot. Okay, I didn't realize we could have saved all this talk. <laughs> no, I've, I've been in, I've been in touch. What did you have to say to Dermot? I've been in touch. I, I was I was taken by the snippy tone of his of his email, and I thought <laughs> it was well, a little snippy. I said, Dermot. I, I didn't actually. I just said, I just said when I say I didn't even I didn't write Dermot. I suppose it, it's, it's implied when I say that's have been lucky. What I mean is that they have been converting an unsustainably high proportion of their chances into goals. Goals. Um, citing statistical studies, which I won't bother reading out to you because I mean you know look, look go to Google or whatever. Um, this table, for uh, for instance, shows Manchester City. Uh, produced 33 more, 33% more shots on target than Leicester, but because Leicester's conversion rate is 25% higher, they've scored the same number of goals. Mm. The odds are that Leicester's conversion rate, which, by the way, is the third highest uh, in Premier League history since they started uh, recording these things, i.e. since 2009, uh, is, uh, so it's the third highest ever. In that, in that list, the two teams above them are Liverpool and Man City from the thirteen. But this is the conversation season. that. We, oh, sorry, you haven't finished reading here. No, the point is that this this really high conversion rate uh, that Leicester are just knocking in a very high proportion of chances will drop back to something like the more approaching the average. That's what happens with 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 figures which are mm-hmm. which are way out. Yeah, over the course of uh, a, a not predetermined. Amount of time. Nobody's. There's, there aren't many games left, and this this anomaly is you. All as I'm you saying. It. All I'm saying is that's what the odds are. Like Leicester could continue to be lucky, or their luck could re- go to you know neutral, or even unlucky. That could happen. That could happen too. There could also be a couple of unlucky games. I'm still not up. buying your luck argument. But uh, listen, you've been back in touch with Dermot. Uh, will we save our second scumbag for later on? Yeah, we'll save him for a little, little bit later on. It's time to get into this. So, uh, speaking of luck, Wayne Rooney, not very lucky, it turns out, at the moment. Particularly unlucky in years of an international tournament with injuries. Uh, 2016 turns out to be no different. Uh, knee ligament damage out for six weeks. And, you know, I mean, bad, obviously, for Manchester United, given that he's recently returned to form. Worse, when you look at the fact, when you look at their squad, they don't have anybody really who can cover. Maybe this is Memphis's time to shine. I, I kind of feel with Anthony Marshall that he is... I mean, there was this debate earlier in the season about whether they should be using him rather than Rooney in the in the middle. This was when Rooney was really floundering. I think that, based on what I've seen of him over this season so far, he is better starting from a wide position because the thing that he can really do 
outstandingly well is beat people with the ball at his feet. It's a amazing kind of ability that he's got. And it seems to me that he's better off doing that, ideally with a centre forward also there to, to maybe profit from some of the chaos that he causes. I mean, he can still score, I think, a lot of goals himself from that position. I don't think you're minimising his ability. Talking about maybe moving him, maybe they're going to have to play him at centre forward now. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be quite as good in that position um, or if his skills are quite as suited to that position. He thinks they are, though. He wants to play there. Well, if and he that's does. sometimes not a bad, not necessarily a bad motivation to try to nail down this position that you would prefer to play in and think you're better in. Well, if he does, you know, if he feels that way, then it could it could be the case. You know, I mean, I, I kind of it's it's hard to know really in in um, in modern football where the position is. I mean, the, the two great goal scorers in modern football are not centre forwards. You know what I mean? The Ronaldo and, and Messi are not. Uh, I mean, okay, there's players like Suarez and Lewandowski who are centre forwards who are scoring a lot of goals now. But these kind of goal a game phenomena, they're they were largely doing it from sort of withdrawn positions. You know, the starting positions outside the area, whether on the wing or in Messi's case for some of those seasons, in the middle, um, but not in the box, not as a, not really as a centre forward. Uh, the 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 role that Rooney has been playing in this Man United team. Um, you know, okay, maybe Marshall is going to be able to do it. As for Rooney, uh, you know, maybe Memphis, they could try him. Maybe the maybe the better option is to go with Memphis on the wing and and Marshall up front. I don't know. Fellaini, it turns out, is also possibly injured. Uh, so he might have been an option, uh, and it looks as though they don't even have him. So Rooney, um, uh, maybe he's going to be, maybe this will do him good for the summer tournament, but I don't think it will. I always think with him, it's whenever he has a break like this from fitness, it always takes him a long time to to get back to full fitness. And given that he just sort of played his way back into some kind of decent form after a really long, a really protracted slump, I think this is a demoralizing situation for him and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. Yeah, I don't know about the argument that you, it's good to get your injury out of the way early, <laughs> no. which is essentially what that is. Well, it, there is an argument that, you know, it helps your freshness. You know what I mean? You, you, it's not like you're getting to the end of the season having played 50 games and your your legs are down to stumps. You know, it's you've been, you've been uh, hopefully you haven't been sitting on, on the couch at home comfort eating. You know what I mean? Trying to get over the, the depression that's, you know, eating up your life because you can't, play the game at this uh, crucial moment of the season. You know, that's what sometimes happens to players when they're injured. You know, it's not always, you have to work harder on your fitness when you're injured and can't play than you do when you're playing and that's your fitness taken care of, you know, almost. Um, so that's why sometimes players, it's not just a question of recovering from the injury, it's the condition that they lose and don't maintain while they are out injured and, and demoralized. Um, Lou Van Hal incidentally says he'd rather win the FA Cup than the Europa League, although he does admit that the Europa League is a hell of a lot more important as it gets them into the Champions League. Uh, however, he hasn't won the FA Cup, so <laughs> that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, He's thinking short term, I think, at this stage, Louis. They are playing, uh, they're playing uh, Midtjylland tonight. Van Gaal mentions about Midtjylland, they're a very good team. They play in a difficult shape uh, for us. Sunderland showed it on Saturday, and Midtjylland play the same shape, 4 1 4 1. So. <laughs> Great, Louis. <laughs> it's reassuring for everyone to know that. Uh, but he said they're specialised to set plays. They've scored forty-eight percent of their goals from them. 
that is a phenomenally high proportion of goals. Um, I was looking at the Premier League, and I think the team with the highest proportion of goals from set pieces is Palace. Uh, it's about 35%. Uh, Tottenham have actually scored the most goals from set pieces, but they've it's about 25% of their total, which is higher than Crystal Palace's, obviously. Um, tw- but when you look at Midgilland, they've actually scored, I think, 26 goals in, in 17 matches. So I don't know if it's... I mean, we, we this is the team that we were talking about, remember, before. You know, they've they've kind of taken a very... Analytics driven. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say Moneyball. They would. They would probably correct you on that Moneyball. They'd say analytics. It's not about Moneyball. Moneyball was a a a ripping yarn, you know. But this is this is something a bit more uh, advanced. Um, but but I wonder if maybe it's a little bit machiney. This football, you know, twenty six goals and seventeen. Can't we find another method? Like Mm -hmm. it's great that like. You know, 12 or 13 of those goals have been... They're, they're told in the Europa League is actually two-thirds of their goals have been from set pieces, but it, that's great. At the same time, are we maybe concentrating a bit too much on set pieces and not enough on some of the other stuff that happens during a football match? Look, who might have questioned? Let's, wa- let's watch with interest to see if they can set piece uh, Manchester United out of the Europa League. Um, yeah, we'll get back to Ronaldo, I think, a bit later. Dermot Corrigan's going to talk to us about that. They obviously beat Roma... Uh, 2-0 and Barcelona were playing yesterday as well so we'll talk to him a bit about that uh, Gary Neville is in Europa League action tonight against Rapid Vienna and uh, everything Gary Neville does uh, these days now attracts criticism from the local media uh, for instance he brought in Paco Ayesteran as a fitness trainer Paco Ayesteran is the former assistant of Rafael Benitez who worked with him at Liverpool and also of course at Valencia when they were are very successful. Um, this appointment seems like a smart one by Neville in terms of you've got an, uh, an assistant, a fitness trainer who both speaks good English and good Spanish and also knows the club to some extent and is known at the club. Um, but and everyone says, oh, obviously not Gary Neville's idea. I wonder who's, like, like as though Terry Venables has been brought in to help Brian Robson, you know what I mean, to help the... The, the struggling Brian Robson. Neville says, I can be absolutely 100% clear that it was my suggestion and my appointment and no one else's. I spoke to Jamie Carger two weeks ago about Paco. I spoke to the president as far back as Christmas uh, before the sporting director was appointed. I'm the head coach of Valencia. Um, if I leave, Paco will leave. I'm the gaffer. I'm the gaffer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the head coach for the rest of this season. Ayas Rand will act partly as a translator. Neville says, of course it's a handicap in some ways. It's my problem. In our coaching room, we speak Spanish. That's my rule that I've introduced. Sometimes I need certain things translated. Um, so there you go. Hopefully he's, he's, he's picking up a bit of it. Uh, difficult yep. to do in such a short space of time. Eden Hazard, not a great performance on Tuesday night. No, a bad performance. And you, you've probably seen Roy Keane's comments about him. Uh, not impressed by Hazard, who appeared to court a move to PSG before this game. Um, and he basically said... It's difficult to say no to PSG or any of the teams capable of winning the Champions League. PSG are now in that category. And for me, winning the Champions League is my main aim. Chelsea won the Champions League in 2012, <laughs> and Hazard should be aware. And they are definitely, well, they definitely should consider themselves to be one of the teams that are capable of winning the Champions League. One of the reasons they should consider themselves to be like that is because they have players like Eden Hazard, who is supposed to think of himself as the kind of player who can 
help a club to win that competition rather than the kind of player who has to join one of the, you know, four richest clubs. But, you know, there's obviously other reasons why Hazard might like to move to PSG, most obvious being uh, money, although he's surely very well paid at Chelsea. Uh, there's the fact that it's the capital of France and then Hazard is a French-speaking Belgian who might feel a little bit more at home there in those environments than he does in London. But really, to there's no need for him to say this, I don't think. Uh, I think it shows a bad attitude, actually. I, I, You're I'm, agreeing with Keane, you call him a spoiled child. Keane said that he'd kick him up and down the training field if, if, if he was playing with him. He would kick him up and down. I mean, Skulls uh, has previously talked about, or is it Darren Fletcher, I think, was talking about that, that type of corporal punishment uh, that Manchester United used to inflict on uh, the players like Keane Skulls used to inflict on teammates they felt had stepped out of line. Well, Ronaldo was another one. That's why Ronaldo didn't talk to those boys because, uh, yeah. by their own admission, Ferdinand and Skulls and the more experienced players kicked the rough edges off him. But did they mean kick the rough edges off, or did they mean uh, what? Well, what I heard Ferdinand saying was that they used to, you know, take the Mickey out of him for his for his tight jeans. No, I did. They hear actually, him. physically no, rough him up as well. Well, no, maybe not. Phys- maybe somewhere in between, as in. physically abusive. He'd be trying his fancy stuff in training and they would let him know whether, I don't know how they let the younger players know this, but whether through physical pain Mm -hmm. or just a withering glance from Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes probably just sidled up to him and said, after one step over too many, boring. Boring. That's boring. Yeah. And Ronaldo said, sorry Scholes, you're right, I'm going to go on a new path now. Enough of the one-trick pony. Maybe if they just hadn't Maybe if they just let Ronaldo be who he wanted to be and hadn't subjected him to this hazing process, he'd still be playing for Manchester United, you know, four European Cups later. Um, just on your Hazard point, by the way, I do, like, looking at the teams the other night, aside from money, there was one team there that looked like they might be competing with Barcelona and Bayern Munich in the next few years. Oh, yeah, but primarily because the likes of Eden Hazard are, are playing so badly and, all, and he's not the only one at Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea obviously have some serious problems and there's no doubt that PSG looked like a much better team so dynamic as well. Yeah. You know, a better team in such an exciting way. It was just w- second half especially, just wave after wave. Luis probably spent half his time in the op- opposing half of the field bombing on with the ball, which is I where you want Luis to be. I love David <laughs> Luis. Yeah. I can't help. I mean, obviously, even, you know, if you, if you look at the goal they let in, David Luis was obviously in the area of that goal, <laughs> although not making a tackle or whatever. That's fine. I accept that. Sometimes... Sometimes that's going to happen. But in those big European games, he has frequently proven himself a useful player. Zlatan's going to be leaving the revolution now there. So he seems to be saying, uh, kind of hawking for a move to England a little bit. I don't know who, who could really afford him. Uh, I mean, and there are there are English clubs that could afford him. I don't know if they necessarily would. He was kind of saying he was in great physical condition. China would love Zlatan. They would. There's talk that he's going to be going to... Beckham's franchise when it starts up in Miami, Miami. but that, that's not for that's not until he'd still get a season in the Premier League before doing that so maybe he could take a bit of a wage cut for a year mm, maybe maybe he could maybe he could go to China I don't understand why he'd necessarily go to the Premier League at this stage I mean it is the most physical of the I mean it's a cliche about the Premier League but it is true it is the most physically demanding of the uh, major leagues at the moment wouldn't be too worried about Zlatan down there I think he could hold up to it yeah, well, I mean, he'd have to run around a bit more than he'd like. You know, I don't think Zlatan would have a problem dealing with, you know, the attentions of 
Ryan Shawcross at the corner. You <laughs> I was know? trying to think of somebody. Yeah, Ryan Shawcross is about right. to be able to handle that, but but uh, it's the sort of running around part that you know. For I mean, Ronaldo Zlatan is never like that. I mean, Pep used to try and get him to do that in that Barcelona. He said, "Look, I'm look, Pep, I'm a hundred kilos, right? I don't. <laughs> I'm not a running. I'm not a running kind of a player, right? If you're hundred kilos, my knees are basically the same as yours. You know what I mean? We don't run around." All that much at 100 kilos, so please. And that was seven years ago now. So, um, so yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what he does. Yep. Um, Jurgen Klopp uh, also in uh, Europa League action tonight. He's playing uh, Liverpool, playing Augsburg. Uh, well, he should be playing if his nutmeg of Firmino was anything to go by. Oh yeah. In training. Uh, he uh, he wasn't taking any chances with that nutmeg. He fairly pelted the ball uh, as hard as he could. Um, from from behind, through the legs of uh, Firmino, but uh, he's talking a bit about the. He says Liverpool can win the Europa League, but he doesn't sound that enthusiastic about it. He basically says only a few teams in the world can think about winning the Europa League. I think we're one of those teams. We're not one of those clubs that says we have no chance. But if you look at the teams in the competition now, it's a little like a little Champions League. Uh, there are a lot of high quality teams in it. Sometimes. You can look at winning a cup as the shortest way to get somewhere. For sure, the Europa League is not the shortest way to get to the Champions League. It is a really hard race and not a normal road. The chance to qualify for the Champions League makes it more interesting. Ask Sevilla, who would have qualified many times with this rule. So basically he's saying, yeah, it'd be great, but actually the odds of winning this competition are slim. We're in the, odd, we're in the round of 32. There's a lot of games to play. And it sounds as though he still thinks Liverpool might have more chance of qualifying for the Champions League through the Premier League, which most people would give them very little chance of at this stage. That's a wrap for the report on sport. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, Everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. All right, John Brune is ready to talk to us about Wayne Rooney's injury and the attitude maybe that caused the injury to be more serious than it had to be. John Roy Keane, in his book, I remember talking about Ruth Van Nistelrooy. He said he used to look at Van Nistelrooy and think, the hell are you doing, man? You gotta you gotta play through the pain barrier a little bit here. Stop minding yourself so much, like all these foreign lads seem to do. In later years, as in when Keane wrote this second book, he'd come around to the view that actually Van Isseroy and these guys were probably right to mind their body and to try to have a longer, more successful career and not have so much damage done to them. Now, Rooney's very much of the Roy Keane school of thinking when it comes to playing through injuries. Was he brave, do you think, or foolish to play on and get ruled out for six weeks? Um I think he could be both brave and foolish, couldn't he? Um, and I think uh, I, th- I think one of the things is that Rooney takes the responsibility of being Manchester United's captain very seriously um, and uh, probably looks around Louis van Gaal's squad and thought there are no other options and that he would play and try and play through the pain barrier, um, possibly with the intention that he would miss uh, the match in Denmark, the Europa League match in Denmark and then the game at Shrewsbury. And therefore, you know, rest the injury and hope that it goes away. Unfortunately for Rooney, unfortunately for Manchester United, that's not happened. 
Um, it is a bit of an old school um, way of treating things, but Rooney is one of those players who will play um, on one leg if he has to, and has done many times. I'm, I remember the Bayern Munich game, it would be six years ago now, wouldn't it? The Champions League quarter final. Um, Rooney essentially played with uh, an ankle that he'd torn the week in the previous um, leg um, and was great for 50 minutes but then could not move and eventually that ruined his season and if you recall he turned up at the World Cup completely unfit completely unfit both mentally and physically um, he's someone that takes a lot of risk with his fitness considering that he's a player who takes a long time to recover from his injuries always has done actually Do you think that that's purely down to it's interesting the way you described that there that there's, there's no sense that this is an individual bravado um, element to what we're talking about here you think it genuinely is Rooney's sense that everything he does is for the team and knowing especially how light they are in strikers that this is maybe backfired now but it looked to him at that precise time I actually have to stay on here or else my, my team my club are in a bit of trouble well I think I think maybe in his younger days Rooney would have played on um for, for perhaps selfish reasons, um, I know that the 2006 World Cup, which he went to with essentially a broken foot, um, Manchester United, or Alex Ferguson specifically, did not want him to go. But Rooney um, and the England camp made the decision that he would go. That, to me, seemed one of those things where he didn't want to miss out because of himself, because of Wayne Rooney. Remember that quote, the big man is back, as he arrived off the, uh, on the plane to Germany that time. I think as he gets a little older, um, that responsibility of the team has certainly become a big part of Wayne Rooney as a as a footballing footballing personality. I mean, if you hear him speak, um, he is all for the team. Um, actually, very much so on England duty, perhaps a little bit more than Manchester United. Though, having said that, being England captain means he has to speak a little more at those times. Um, he, I think, takes the team very seriously. Um, you also have to say, though, that uh, the manager, Louis van Gaal, the um, medical staff, they've taken the risk as well, and they've paid the price for it as well. Um, the other thing, of course, is that van Gaal's relationship with Rooney appears to be very close, and that uh, van Gaal places decisions in Rooney's hands. I mean, we, we've heard the stories about him giving team talks ahead of matches. Um, so it would seem that Rooney has been chosen... Uh, to, to choose his own path on this, and as it's turned out, it's completely the wrong one for Manchester United. It's almost as though Louis van Gaal believes in and trusts Wayne Rooney so much that, as a, as a token of his faith, he has designed a squad in which there are no rival strikers at all for Wayne Rooney. It's unbelievable when you look at Manchester United's squad and realise that the only real, <laughs> the only recognised striker they've got, who's played you know more than a handful of senior games is Will Keane, a goal in every 10 games striker. Uh, and after that, they're, they're, they're looking at pressing players like uh, Anthony Marshall and, and Memphis Depay into that role, even though they, they look um, as though their best position is elsewhere. How have they ended up with, with a squad this badly designed? Well, I think we go back to um, the problems that Manchester United have at the... At the uh, managerial and above the above the coaching staff, which is that this is a squad that has been built essentially by um, a manager in Louis van Gaal, who I am told was surprised at the amount of responsibility he has in selecting players to be bought. 
uh, and also Ed Woodward, who has proved himself little but a greenhorn in the approaching three years that he's been in charge of the team. Um, as soon as Manchester United started getting rid of players like Javier Hernandez, uh, alarm bells rang, um, and you be, you begin to think that at, one, at a certain point in the season, Wayne Rooney would get an injury, because I cannot think of a season where Wayne Rooney has not suffered at least a six-week break at a certain point. Um, so, yeah, this is incredibly short-sighted thinking, but that in itself is endemic of the, well, let's say, disastrous way that Manchester United have built a squad uh, in the last three years. And um, I did a piece yesterday looking at the play- players that, say, uh, M- Jose Mourinho might look at among those Manchester United players um, if-, if he was to become the manager. And I think I worked out that only five or six of them had a future at Manchester United if Mourinho was able to gain full control of the squad. So that tells me that um, the Rooney thing is just another bad decision for Manchester United. That is, I mean, you mentioned Hernandez there, and, and also the point you make about Van Hal having the kind of opposite complaint that a lot of managers seem to have. Uh, most managers, or a lot of managers, complain that they aren't given enough control over transfers, and he appears to have been surprised that he was he was being required to do a lot of it himself uh, and kind of expected it to be done for him. Uh, okay, I mean, that's that's the system he's used to working with. But when it comes to something like the Hernandez decision, surely that was his call. You know, it's it's turned out uh, Hernandez has scored 22 goals in 26 games. I think it is for Bayer Leverkusen. He's been in ridiculous form. Um, I, I mean, I remember the look exchanged by Louis van Gaal and Ryan Giggs. Remember at the start of the season when uh, Hernandez missed a chance and you know, was it the Champions League qualifier? They both just looked at each other. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, within a, f- a few days, Hernandez was gone to Germany. Um, so, you know, okay, van Gaal doesn't want to necessarily, or maybe he's inexperienced when it comes to signing players, building a squad. But in terms of whittling away the players he already had, it was it was presumably his call to get rid of Hernandez. He decided that Hernandez would not be capable of producing for him. It turns out he was wrong about that, but it was his call to get rid of him. Yes, I, I, yeah, and I think, I think that's the point, isn't it, that Van Gaal has been given almost total control of the recruitment of players because there isn't a director of football, there aren't uh, senior football figures around that can help make, make him make those, take those decisions. And yeah, the Hernandez thing, um, if you look at Louis Van Gaal team's over the last 20 years, uh, Javier Hernandez is not a player that would fit into a, a typical Louis van Gaal team. So uh, van Gaal obviously looked at him, thought they didn't want him. I mean, he was at Real Madrid last season, of course. Um, and uh, yes, that look at uh, that evening in Bruges suggested that, yes, it would be very much Louis van Gaal's decision whether uh, Hernandez left the club or not. And that's proved to be the case. And Hernandez himself has spoken about the fact that he didn't feel loved at the club. Um, and it looks incredibly short-sighted now because the player that Manchester United probably need, if you've got Anthony Martial bombing down the left, is a player to get on the end of his his movement, and that would be a player like Javier Hernandez. Um, and it's lately been Wayne Rooney, let, let's say that, and I think that um, Rooney has played well uh, in tandem with Martial since the turn of this year. Um, but yeah, again, we go back to the fact that the team building, the squad building, the decisions over recruitment made by Manchester United have been poor. You've got players that have been bought seemingly on spec. I mean, Ander Herrera was a player bought um, because he was scouted by a previous regime um, and uh, Louis van der Haal signed him off. 
um, and then has very has found very little use for him in the last couple of years, despite the fact he looks a pretty decent player to me. Um, yet uh, Van Hal is just not. <laughs> I mean, there are many many fault lines with Van Hal's regime, but I think one of the problems is that he doesn't have the players to make his system work, and that's to do with the problems, and a lot of that's to do with the recruiting that Manchester United has done. Well, he's obviously built his reputation on what he can do with young players, and has gotten quite a lot out of Martial, but uh, Will Keane is a guy who was mentioned by Van Gaal as somebody scoring goals in the reserve team at the moment. He's been there. He's one of these young players who's not so young anymore. I think he's been around, he's been around about the place. He's 23. Like. 23 now, and he's been talked about since he was 17, 18, 19. Uh, an Irish qualified player, albeit has never given any inkling that he wants to play for Ireland. I think he's sees himself as an England international. Is there a chance that this guy is still young enough that Van Hal can mould something? I mean, we've seen a few clips of him scoring, banging in the goals. He might have scored four or five one game for the reserves. Well, I think Will Keane spent a couple of years out, didn't he, with a, a knee ligament injury that halted his progress when he was the, you know, the bright young thing of the academy. Um, it's a hell of a risk to take with a player who's essentially missed so long of his career and uh, has had a series of not hugely successful loans at other clubs. Um, there is a suspicion about Van Gaal um, and the fact that things are going against him, that he has tried to push forward that thing about him being someone who brings out the best in youth, gives youth his chance. If you've noticed that some of the bad results that United have had um, the next time out, uh, specifically in the Champions League, actually, where you remember Cameron Borthwick-Jackson was given a start, I think, uh, against Wolfsburg, um, and Nick Powell, oddly, was brought on towards the end of the game uh, in that one, where it's almost a, a safety blanket to suggest that, well, OK, things are not going well at the moment, but, hey, look, I'm bringing in players that are young and that might have a future at this club. The problem for Van Gaal is that there have been several players that have come in, young players that have shone, and then have disappeared from uh, from the face of the team actually um, I'm thinking actually of Paddy McNair is the, is the initial one who looks you know Rolls Royce of a player but ever since he's come back into the team this season has looked less capable of dealing with Manchester United's defensive problems um, again again we go back to the fact that the imbalance in Manchester United's squad between that group of youngsters who are not of the standard of the great youngsters that United have brought through in the past and the standard of players that Manchester United have recruited from elsewhere um, means that Manchester United have a squad where imbalance is just the order of the day. What about the story, John, that's coming out this afternoon and it's been reported in The Sun, <clears throat> excuse me, the Manchester Evening News and a couple of other places, that, uh, well, just to read from the MEN's report... Manchester United are understood to be open to selling Wayne Rooney to a Chinese Super League club in the summer, but only if they make a marquee signing. United have received an offer from a Chinese club for their 30-year-old captain who was sidelined for six weeks in, with a knee injury. What do you think is going on here? Do you, do, do you credit these stories? And, and well, you know, what do you think Ed Woodward is thinking? Well, it's funny you mention Ed Woodward because uh, there was a conference call that he does every quarterly earnings um, announcement where... Uh, what is it? Revenue for show, profit for for no or whatever it is. Uh, he did mention somebody. I think one of the investors asked a question about the Chinese league, the Chinese Super League, and its uh, well burgeoning status. And he said at a certain point that he thought that the Chinese market could be good for Manchester United because it could be a place to sell players. 
Now, at the time, the name that sprung to mind for me, actually, was Marcos Rojo, or Rojo, mm-hmm. um, because he's one of those players uh, that seems to fit the profile of the players that go out there. South Americans that are decent players but haven't made it at elite clubs and can be sold at a profit. I didn't think about Wayne Rooney, but the Wayne Rooney rumour has been floating around the last few days. Um, the problem with it, there were a few problems with it. I suppose the, the, the most striking one of those is that you would not expect Wayne Rooney to uh, make his life, uh, take his family to China. <laughs> um, well, supposedly he never wanted to move to London because <laughs> it was too uh, alien a culture for him. So China does seem a well, bit... Yeah. Uh, and, and Madrid or Barcelona was seen as insane to, for Wayne Rooney to go and live in. Well, absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, and I, 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 um, I, I, at the moment I'm not too far from where, where, where Wayne Rooney lives and He's pretty much made it into his own sort of Rooney domicile um, and still spends a lot of time back over in Liverpool. So I can't really see it it happening for that reason. Another reason is, of course, that Wayne Rooney is nearing the all-time Manchester United goal record. I think he needs five to equal it and six to surpass Bobby Charlton. Um, This two-months injury... Looks like he has to wait till next season now. Yes, exactly. But maybe he won't be there next season. Oh, he's only be one or two goals, Don Bradman style, just you know, Oof. just that one run away. Yeah, well, exactly. But another strand to it is, is something that I came across a while ago, which was that it was felt that the Wayne Rooney brand has not been quite as profitable uh, as they might have expected, say, when he was a 16-year-old, 18-year-old. You know, the, the, the name on everyone's lips in football, and that. Uh, you know, to to uh, to secure hit the future of him and his family, that there might need to be one final payday. Now that sounds ridiculous, considering that he earns in a, <laughs> a reported three hundred thousand pounds a week. Yeah. But I suppose you have to think that when Rooney is thirty now, let's say he has forty more years in his footballing career, is just as a as a figure to throw out there. I can't see Wayne Rooney beyond football um, becoming a TV personality. Uh, the thought of him becoming the type of business property magnate that Frank Lampard appears to be on the road to becoming. Um, so there is a certain thought that he might try and trouser as much revenue as he could to make sure that eventually when he does retire from football that the, the money is there for not just him, but for him and his three sons beginning the, with the letter K. And um, that, that might be a move for him. But at the moment... From a playing point of view, apart from being injured, he has shown in recent weeks he's actually still got quite a lot to offer. Um, my observation of the Chinese league, I was over there four years ago and uh, watched a bit of it, and I have to say the standard was very, very poor. Uh, that was the last sort of gold rush around that time. I remember when Nicholas Inelka and Didier Drogba went over there. Um, now, things may have changed, but it would still seem uh, Wayne Rooney, he's only 30 to go there. That seems hugely premature for him to, to, to leave English football. Um, he's spoken also of his designs on the 2018 World Cup as well. So a few things don't add up with that to me, but that's not to say that Manchester United have not received an offer for him. I mean, as I said, it's a story that's been around for a little while. Yeah, it would seem strange from United's point of view. Obviously, if they do get a marquee signing, you would say that's great, but you'd, that's all the more reason I would have thought to keep Rooney and not have to rely on him quite as much, but have him play with some other megastar up front. But listen, John, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, lads. Rooney to China again, what do you think? 
I don't think Wayne Rooney would be keen on it, although I think Manchester United might be. I mean, it was interesting what, what Woodward said about the Chinese market. He said, yes, yeah, we think it'd be a good uh, market for us to sell players. Which Woodward? Ed. No, but Wood- which of the seven? Oh, um, <laughs> I think maybe the one that the one that wanted to call George Bendes. <laughs> uh, I think he, yeah. But but that that was kind of an interesting thing to say. Clearly, Woodward doesn't think that the Chinese Super League might actually be a problem for Manchester United in the sense of either competing with them for players they want to sign or driving the price of those players higher. But I think you can already see an example of that happening in the Premier League when Liverpool wanted to sign Alex Teixeira uh, and offered, you know, what did they offer, 30, 28 million or something for him. And within a week, Teixeira had joined the Chinese club for a much larger sum. Okay, I mean, uh, Manchester United might think we're, you know, we're, we're in a different ballpark, but are they really? I mean, one way or the other, I think this is going to push up uh, transfer fees. If clubs are aware that they can get more from a Chinese club, that's gonna that's gonna cost Manchester United money or reduces their uh, financial advantage a little more. What he's thinking there, I think, is it's gonna be a good place for us to dump the players we don't yeah, want. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Stamped with the with the former Manchester United merchandise and therefore possibly more famous than your average overseas player in China, uh, we will be able to sell off players, you know, get rid of our old rope at inflated prices. And if it only worked that way then it would be a good thing for Manchester United. It is interesting how close a relationship Rooney seems to enjoy, though, with Van Gaal. Uh, even earlier in the week, he was talking. He was taking it, the blame on behalf of the players and saying there's too much on Van Gaal here, too much on the coach. I was listening to, just researching the Patrick Clivert interview we're doing next week, came across an interview he did after the World Cup last year on TalkSport when he had been the assistant manager to Van Gaal. And they were talk, one of the questions they asked him about was who's going to be the United captain? Uh, leaning towards Van Persie. He wasn't leaning towards Van Persie. He dead batted it a little bit. But they were saying, you know, that we saw Van Persie hugging Van Hal during the World Cup. They're so close. This has got to be great for Robin. What a player. What an amazing bit of news this is for him. And weirdly then, Van Persie's gone by the end of a disappointing season. Mm. And, and actually Rooney, who looked to be under threat maybe mm. before Van Hal took over, is the main man. Too much so. Like uh, There's too much responsibility on him. Yeah. Um, the, the Van Persie thing was a bit strange. I mean, Van Persie did, did an interview about it when he, after he went to Fenerbahce and... Uh, he, he said he didn't really go into very big specifics on what happened with him and Van Hal, but it seemed as though maybe he overreached a little bit. Maybe Van Persie was was talking a little bit too with too much familiarity almost to Van Hal. Uh, you know, say, oh, you know, coach, we don't really do that things that way here. You know, the players kind of prefer this sort yeah. of stuff, and and that this kind of led to their relationship suddenly becoming a bit more frosty. It's kind of like. Look, we're in a di- this is a different team now, you know. Let's try and observe the proper distance here, and things all seem to become a bit awkward. Which wasn't helped, I don't think, by the fact that I think they might have been able to to get over it if Van Persie had been banging in a goal a game as he was in his first season there. But unfortunately, he he had kind of lost form and fitness. We've had a lot of interest in attending that Clivert interview. I put that out in a couple of podcasts recently. So thanks very much for that. We are going to get in touch with the people who've been successful very shortly. It is a very small group. It's only a, uh, a small set, a small venue. But the rest of you will be able to hear the interview in full on the podcast late next week. Really looking forward to that one. The more you read about Clivert, the more interesting he becomes, actually. Uh, there's already plenty it's already plenty on the surface, but there's a load of great stuff there that we'll be able to get into with the real legend European football in recent years. Dermot Hargan is ready to talk to us about another current uh, European football legend. Real Madrid beat Roma 2-0, Dermot, away from home last night. And Ronaldo 
in particular, he seemed to feel as though he'd proved a point. Yeah, uh, he's generally out to prove something to, to somebody, Cristiano, uh, a lot of the time. And the press conference on Tuesday, he did the press conference, which was the first time in 28 months, I think. He doesn't normally come out and do the, the usual press conferences, normally Varane or, or Tony Cruz or somebody like that. But he did it and seemed to take a lot of the, the questions as kind of personal affronts, especially one from a journalist from AS who asked him how come he hadn't scored since November away from the Bernabeu. Because he's been banging in the goals of the Bernabeu against... Espanyol or Malmo or, or whoever in recent weeks and months. We found it a lot more difficult away from home, especially when Madrid have been struggling to get points. And he took it personally. He didn't really address the question. He just kind of looked at him and said, tell me somebody who scored more goals than me away from home since I came to Spain, which is fair enough. But in the last couple of months, there's loads of people who've scored more goals than him. And then he just got up and left without waiting for the translator to do it. So he did seem to think that he personally was being picked out or criticised or wasn't fair and he needed to, to show everybody and whatever and he did it, he scored a brilliant goal mm. it was that kind of old school Ronaldo goal where he, he breaks down the wing and cuts inside and whacks in the top corner which he hasn't done that much of recently and you know fair enough he, he did it. Yeah I mean I suppose he has reached the kind of level of achievement where any criticism must to him seem slightly ludicrous, I mean who are you to you know, who you to criticise me. And I suppose you can kind of see Ronaldo's point there. There was uh, more criticism of Real Madrid, though, from, from their ex-manager, Rafael Benitez, who was on BT Sport. And Rafa, obviously, he, I don't think he wanted to get too aggressive. Um, he was clearly annoyed that he'd been uh, that he'd been sacked. But he, he put forward this theory that the reason Real Madrid uh, are so much less successful than Barcelona over the last few years uh, has to do with uh, Fiorentino Perez, and he talked about the kind of overbearing presence of Perez, talking to players, talking to journalists, kind of always on the scene, makes it difficult for a manager really to do things his way. And essentially came to the conclusion that uh, because Real Madrid have no uh, continuity, no consistency, whereas Barcelona have this established model of football, um, that's the reason that they can't compete. What, what do you make of Rafa's argument? I think there's a good bit of truth in it. I think Rafa knew exactly what he was doing. You know, it wasn't that he, he kind of accidentally came out with this stuff and happened to be on the TV and just thought of it in the moment. It seemed to me anyway, and it's been taken a good bit here, like the interview's gone all over the Spanish media. It's it's all over us and Marca and everything this morning. And he, he picked his moment and was sending a bar back Florentino directly because maybe because of the way that Rafa feels not happy with how he was treated. There's a lot of truth in it. You know, you wouldn't be the first person to say that that that... Barcelona because of the way they have the, the La Masia model and because they bring through the players and they have the, the style of play that they always do and they all get on well together. The coach is not such a a, a big figure that it works for them, whereas Madrid are, are swapping and changing coaches all the time that it doesn't work so well for them. Benitez knew all of that before he came in at Madrid. You know, None of it is would have been a big surprise to him last summer. He could have said the exact same thing. Whether that was the reason why Benitez didn't himself didn't work out, I'd say it had more to do with Benitez than than Florentino. Benitez, it's obvious that he, he rubbed a lot of people up at the club the wrong way. A lot of the players were delighted to see him go. They weren't happy with his tactics. They weren't happy with his training. Um, so I'd say Benitez is right. A lot of what he said about Florentino is right, but whether that's the reason or that's if that's why things went totally wrong for him at Madrid, I, I don't think so. I have to say I don't agree with him at all. Uh, I think the difference between Barcelona and Real Madrid isn't because Fiorentino Perez talks to too many journalists, and it's not because Barcelona have got a model of football that's better than anything Real Madrid can come up with. It's because Barcelona have got Lionel Messi and Real Madrid don't. And the period of their dominance over Real Madrid is essentially the period of Lionel Messi's career. 
Yeah, there's a lot in that as well, <laughs> and that that's fair enough. Uh, you can't really argue with, with how, how well Messi has done. The, the thing about Florentino is, is that he he seems to take it just to go on, on what Rafa was saying, Adam. Florentino takes it fairly personally that he's the one who can take down Barcelona. He can take down a Messi's team. He could take down Guardiola. That's why he he was so happy with Mourinho. That's why he put up with a lot of what Mourinho did. And for a while. You know, Mourinho did actually get on top of Barcelona, and Barcelona went through a bit of a slump. Messi had his couple of seasons where things weren't going so well for him. He, he got injured, and he didn't seem so happy at the club. And it wasn't going so well. That was when they did have a bit of um, less consistency off the pitch, I guess, that when Pep left, and then when Tito was sick, and then Martino didn't go so well. Even at, at, at that stage, it wasn't so so happy for Messi. Messi wasn't playing so well. So I, I take your point, Messi's the best player in the world and he's better than... Uh, there's a fact also, they, they buy better players as well, or at least they have bought better players recently. I mean, you know, Real Madrid bought James Rodriguez and, and Gareth Bale. I mean, they're good players. But Barcelona bought Neymar and, and Luis Suarez. There's no comparison. There's just no comparison in quality between these players. It's the reason, it, it has nothing to do with Barcelona's model. They're playing a, a, a type of football that they've never played before, that no one's really seen before. It's based entirely around these three geniuses actually combining. It's exactly what, what Fernando Perez always wanted for Real Madrid, and it's finally happened. Like this Galactico thing has finally worked at Barcelona. Well, Paris tried to sign Neymar, like Neymar, and it's still still going on in the courts and everything about how how much Madrid tried tried to sign Neymar and tried to get him. Yeah, I take your point to an extent, but I'd say it's easier for the big name players for Neymar and Suarez to come into the the atmosphere of Barcelona, the the way things work at the club, the way the dressing room is, than it is to come into to Madrid, where there are a lot of egos and there are a lot of the, the Galacticos kind of battle against each other. Part of that is down to to Florentino, the way the way people are chosen, maybe not so much for their personalities, but for their um, their, their marketing or, or whatever. But he, or that came out in Ronaldo's press conference as well earlier on this week when he was asked about um, whether what he thought about how Messi, Suarez, and Neymar get on so well together, how they you know they, they go around to each other's houses for barbecues and they call each other Gordo and, and whatever. And Ronaldo said that's 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 crap. Basically, he said I, I don't care. I didn't talk to to Giggs when I was at or or Giggs and Rooney and Skulls when I was at United. I don't go to Bale's house for for a cup of tea, but that doesn't mean anything off the pitch. But I think there is something to it that the the atmosphere at the Bernabeu is more um, for for the players is more individualistic. It's more personality driven. Whereas at Barcelona, there is a team ethos that people like Neymar and Suarez have played into or have, have joined into really well. I've, I've enjoyed yeah. becoming part of that. Whereas at Madrid, that that doesn't exist. Well, I mean, there's real there's just real chemistry. I mean, the goal that Messi scored yesterday. Um, I mean, the the second goal. Uh, yeah. This was like a, a kind of exchange of passes himself between himself and Suarez, where they they kind of both managed to stay onside at various points, uh, kind of have a telepathic understanding of where each other is, you know, what what each other is going to do at any point. They, I mean, it's it's rare to see it at this level. Two guys just kind of really enjoying the basic fun of of the game. I've never seen Ronaldo combine with another player in in that way. He just uses them as walls. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Watching Barcelona sometimes, it's like. A little bit like like five aside to something where there's some players who are just way better than everybody else. Two players on the team who are just way better and who pass to each other all the time and impress each other and try little flicks and try to to set each other up and get back and, and feed off it. And that that's definitely the case with Barcelona at the moment. You know, at the weekend as well when they were hammering the goals in the last couple of minutes against Celta and everything was coming off for them and they were just enjoying it. You, you just get a feeling of how it's great fun for them. How they they do they feed off each other. Whereas, yeah, you couldn't imagine Bale and, and Ronaldo having that. Like, 
I don't know how much they talk really off the pitch. There seems to be a good atmosphere under Zidane, or that's that's what people say. But that kind of positive energy, that that fun atmosphere that that Barcelona have, definitely doesn't exist at, at the Bernabeu. Well, what then? Just a, just the last thing. I mean, it kind of goes back to this penalty they took the other day, and there's a couple of things going on with this. Because first of all, Ronaldo said in his press conference, "I know why they did that, but I'm not going to say." And nobody really knew what he meant, but they thought maybe does Ronaldo mean that because Suarez is the one who's got more goals? They're they're letting Suarez score because that makes it more difficult for Ronaldo to, or you know, puts him ahead of him in the Golden Boot race. Is this what Ronaldo's getting at? The other thing that then happened was that Ram, uh, Barcelona let Suarez take a penalty last night, which he missed. But why would they do that if not to annoy Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah, I, I think it was a really good insight into how Ronaldo thinks that that answer to the question where he goes, I, I, I agree with, completely with you that the most likely thing is that he meant that they're all ganging up on him to try and let Suarez score. They're all trying to tee up Suarez so he scores. Which is, which is, which is totally, <laughs> it's insane, yeah. But but they may now, I thought, have, the, why did they let Suarez take the penalty last night? I mean, Messi's on a hat-trick. It's crazy. I, I, I don't understand what, what happened there. Maybe it is because they want him to be top scorer. Whether they want him, they, they think they want him to personally beat Ronaldo and annoy Ronaldo. I doubt it. Maybe they oh, want may, to be top maybe scorer. after Ronaldo. Maybe after Ronaldo says it, it suddenly comes. Just on the on the actual penalty itself. I mean, I've seen people say lots of things about it. You know, it was bullying. It was, yeah, it was it was classless. Um, the way they were all laughing afterwards. You know, it was was pathetic. They were uh, considering what they had. Uh, I saw Waterford whispers had a, a story about like. Suarez and Messi give Celta Vigo goalkeeper wedgie after game. Okay. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? Is that how it went down in Spain? I didn't, I didn't really get that feeling myself. I'm kind of wondering if I'm missing some dimension of humanity here. Should I have, am I missing something really obvious that was wrong with that? No, I don't think so. There were a few people, maybe Madrid fans, who were giving out about it, who were saying it was disrespectful. Even Celta guys themselves didn't. Like the, the coach was asked about it, the Celtic defenders were asked about it, whether they thought, what they thought about it. And they were just annoyed that they'd got hammered. They were kind of embarrassed that, that it was so easy for Barca at the end, that Barca cut through them and, and scored so many goals. It's a bit of a, a made-up kind of controversy. I, I think the whole disrespect thing, respect, like it comes out with Neymar as well when he tries the, the flicks and the lambrettas and he's putting the two people's legs and all. But even the Celtic coach after the game said that, he's, he's from um, Chile, the Barisa, the, the coach, that you know, Neymar does it when they're 1-0 down in a game. He'll also try a trick. He'll do, he just does it because he thinks it comes naturally to him as the, the most easiest way to get the ball into the goal is to do the tricks. The respecting, people like to argue about it and stuff. I don't think the players themselves or the, the coaches, the people who are really involved in football, see it as a lack of respect that much uh, at all. All right, Dermot Cargan, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, Cam. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. What? What? Which is the game you wanted a victory for? I didn't have a weapon. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is the game you wanted a victory for? I didn't have a weapon. Well, it's just the nervous nerve. You look frustrated on the pitch. Which is the game you wanted a victory for? I didn't have a weapon. You wanted victory. Well, I want that victory. Which is the game you want that victory, boy? I didn't have a weapon. Where do you think you got it all wrong today?
against them in the premiership and we never say they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. You cannot call a player a baby. I don't know if you saw the video, Ken, that emerged of... Well, you did see, actually. Yeah, I emailed it on to you. Although maybe you ignore my emails as no, I watched punishment that one. for no, me. I watched uh, that one. I watched ignoring it. one of yours a couple of I weeks back. I, I, don't, I don't go that way. This is one of the... Uh, this is by a Spanish TV station who just played his reactions, showed the reactions to the questions during the press conference, but with added effects, you know, added slow-mos of mm. super slow-mos and... and uh, uh, replays is the word I'm looking for there in the TV world mm. of reactions to the questions. It was just superb. Yeah, he he didn't seem too impressed with what was uh, what was happening in there. Although I did think the very best bit of that entire video was as he came in and sat down, and <laughs> it was almost like a self-parodying gesture. He's wearing this little like a polo shirt or t-shirt or something, and as he sits down, his his arms are kind of you know his, he puts his elbows on the table and then he sort of looks down at his his biceps and then reaches in and makes the tiniest little adjustment to the sort of the sleeve of his of his t-shirt just to sort of turn it up just just so <laughs> on each bicep which is just like i can't believe i i honestly can't believe he's just done that but you know i don't know if he does that kind of thing deliberately or unconsciously um but either way it was hilarious either way you end up looking at the guns oh which yeah well which, which are obviously in, in great shape but we know that we do Ken, you took your medicine earlier on from our first emailer of the week, so I shall do the same right now. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my we don't normally click, broadcast click, all the, the stuff click, that comes from scum click, around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mama. Click, 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 click. Scumbag number two is Justin Tonra, who has emailed in. A far less snippy tone to this one. Ken, I mean, he's not, he's not even really having a pop. It's all good-natured joshing here from Justin Tonra. Subject, Mike Trebilco. Uh, during the section on Messi-style penalties in yesterday's podcast, I was delighted to hear Owen mispronounce Mike Trebilco's name because I had spent my youth deliberately doing just that. I first encountered Trebilco on a History of Everton video sometime in the late 80s. It included footage and commentary of his brace for Everton in the 1966 cup, six cup final against Sheffield Wednesday. Imagine my juvenile delight when I later saw his name in print and discovered that the man whose name was innocuously pronounced Trebilco was in fact spelled Treblecock. From that day hence, he was inevitably known to me as Mike Treblecock. Really enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work, <laughs> says Justin Chandra. I did walk straight into that one, Justin. Uh, did indeed give Mike uh, Trebilco the surname Treblecock. Yeah, on the podcast earlier in the week, and I do apologise to, to I mean, anyone name, offended by my mispronunciation. His name is spelled Treblecock. Yeah, it's right. I mean, that's clearly, you know, uh, a false pronunciation. I mean, they clearly had to invent that pronunciation because. Oh, you think at one stage it would have been? You think at one stage it would have been pronounced as it's spelled? What's your name, sir? Treblecock. Yeah, come on, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna end up starting saying something, something like oh, tri- it's Trebilco. Um, I, I wonder if I had known, I would have corrected you, mm. but I remain silent. Crack and final that '66 final, by the way. Three uh, two. Three, yeah. Everton were two down, I think. Bloody right, they were. Oh, came back two goals by Trebil- one amazing goal by Treblecock, um, and one pretty routine finish, but great, great striking on his part. And uh, yeah, they, they turn it around. Mm. We might post the video up actually because it's got hilarious old style commentary. 
Yeah, uh, the glory days of the School yeah. of Science. So thanks very much, Justin Tonra, for that one. Second captains at irishtimes.com is the email address. Sportsbook lovers, some good news for you. Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1 is available online free of those pesky shipping charges for one week only. This is a worldwide offer, free delivery of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1. We've got a lot of great reaction from the people who got their hands on it and uh, have had a chance to read it. So if you want to get a bit of detail on that, you can go to secondcaptains.com and you can buy it there too. FA Cup weekend is coming up. I'm going to say no more, Ken. I'm mm. just reminding There's people no to say anything. that the FA Cup weekend used to be... I used to dread it. I used to dread FA Cup weekend. Mm. I'm not going to lie to you, but something about the Monday after the FA Cup weekend... Some of the ghouls. I don't know what it is, but we'll leave it to people's imagination. All right, thanks again. Thank you, Alan. Thanks very much for listening. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.